Welcome to Prophecy Countdown with author and pastor Kenneth Baer. Join us every week for the latest updates on what the Bible has to say about the events, the characters, and prophetic signs of the return of Jesus Christ and His coming kingdom. Make sure you not only subscribe, but like your favorite episodes and share it with your friends. Now, on with the broadcast. Welcome to Prophecy Countdown. I'm Pastor Ken Bear. We provide two updates each week, one on Sunday premiering at 1 p.m. and the other on Wednesday at 11 a.m. The title of my message today is Another 4,000 Fed. And we'll be looking at the pa a passage in the Gospel of Matthew at the end of chapter 15. You know, as the name of our podcast implies, we always have a prophecy thread somewhere. Um, we love prophecy. We feel that God is, that's what God has uh, uh, called us to teach is uh, prophecy. If you have a question, you can send an email to us at prophecycountdownpodcast at gmail.com. That's prophecycountdownpodcast at gmail.com. We respond to every single one of the emails. Any question you have on Bible prophecy or the Bible or theology in general. So let's get started today on our discussion. And again, my topic is another 4,000 fed. You know, when, when you read the Bible, you, you want to be able to trust what we read is actually the Word of God. Uh, what we're reading is a, an accurate representation of what was actually said. Now, if there's a miracle that we're reading about, we want to have confidence. Confidence that there's been no embellishment, no exaggeration, no artistic license applied. Um, remember, most of these have happened uh, 2,000 plus years ago, and we want it to be, to be accurate. Now, there are many today that want you to believe that the Bible that you have in your hands or on your mobile device is full of contradictions, errors, and, and mythology. Uh, the reason they want you to believe this, I, I think, I think this is the real reason, is because they have, uh, they're not open-minded, uh, they may be coming from a, another religion, or most likely, and I think this last case is, is the most likely, most likely they don't want to be held to be accountable to what the Bible says we need to be held accountable to. However, uh, for those of us that believe the Bible is in, uh, in, uh, inerrant, um, I, I thought I'd talk a little bit about what inerrancy actually means. Well, uh, to be er inerrant in definition is actually to be free from error. Um, I'm not going to go into all the proofs of the authenticity of the Old Testament and the New Testament. There are very many. We could do that on another day if you'd like. However, I just want to demonstrate that what we teach and why we believe that the Bible is truly inerrant. Now, when I say this, Bible scholars understand that when we say that the Bible is inerrant, we mean in the original autographs, the written manuscripts written by the apostles and, and the prophets, for example. And they are all under a divine promise of inspiration, and we believe them to be completely without error. Now, we have many translations today, and your translation might have some differences between one translation and another, but, you know, that's supposed to be expected. That's not an error. That's just a matter of translation. The Bible itself testifies in 2 Timothy 
uh, verses, uh, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instructions in righteousness. And you see, this is exactly why many people don't want to believe that what is being taught in the Bible is, in fact, inerrant, reliable, and is the Word of God. Now, I, the churches that I've had the pleasure of teaching in and pastoring in over the, the past 23 years, we typically teach the entire Word of God, meaning that we teach from all books of the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. We don't like to jump around uh, from one chapter or one book to another in order to prove a point or to prove a topic. All of the books of the Bible, as they were originally written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, are 100% accurate. They're completely authoritative and true. Now, we look to the Bible for spiritual insight, for understanding who God is and how we're to live a holy life. We don't necessarily look to the Bible to teach us on science or farming or construction. However, when the Bible mentions these topics, it also is still without error. The Holy Spirit has preserved the Word of God for us today. While there are thousands of manuscripts, and I agree none of them are original, there are many that are dated within as little as 50 to 70 years after, uh, the, 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 after the writing. So 50 to, seven years, seven, 50 to 70 years is a very, very short period of time when you look at all of the books of antiquity that we have manuscripts that attest to the veracity of what's being, uh, what's being taught. Knowing that the Bible has been copied uh, thousands of times over now 2,000 years, the texts we have today, when you take a look at them critically, they're 99% in agreement with one another. And the 1% that is different is typically differences in punctuation, in word endings, minor grammatical uh, issues, the names of things, as well as spelling. Now, that being said, let's get into our topic today, which I said is another 4,000 fed, another 4,000 fed. And, and I think you'll find the comments we have about this, particularly when it's associated with this idea that the Bible is inerrant, you'll find it interesting. So I'm going to be reading from Matthew, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15. This is the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, beginning in verse 32. Now Jesus called his disciples to himself, and he said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. Then his disciples said to him, where could, we, could, where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said to him, seven and a few little fish. So Jesus commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and the fish and gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitude. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets full of fragments that were left. Now those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And he sent away the multitude, got into a boat, and came to the region of Magdala. Now, 
this telling of the feeding of the 5,000 or the 4,000 or the, uh, the multiplication of the loaves and the fishes feeding 4,000. And what I was saying, uh, this ties in directly with our, our belief that the Bible is inerrant, uh, that it's without error. You know, there are some that remember that we just spoke of the feeding of the 5,000 just a chapter prior, and many say, or some say at least, that this is just another telling of the same story, that the multiplication of the loaves and the fishes that we see in chapter 14 is basically the same story that happens in chapter 15. However, to believe that it's the same instance would mean that the Gospel of Matthew didn't even have a simple edit, a simple review to ensure that the same story wasn't just told one chapter later. You know, this particular criticism of the Bible is really just an unsophisticated gotcha, and it's easily countered. A careful comparison will yield a number of distinct differences in the two instances, this new stories. So we'll take a look at some of these differences, and then I'll close with some actual words of Jesus regarding these two separate accounts. First of all, the multiplication of the five loaves and the two fish was recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If Matthew mistakenly repeated the same account with a slightly different, uh, different information a chapter later, uh, that would be one thing. But you see, the Gospel of Mark also records this separate account of the seven loaves and the several fi fish feeding over 4,000. And it records it as a separate event. Now, second, we also have completely different numbers. There's a difference in the account Remember, there were 5,000 men, and this is 4,000 men. A difference on what Jesus started with, five loaves and two fish versus seven loaves and what's said to be a few fish. Also, there's a difference in the leftovers. I still love leftovers. I taught on that. Uh, and that is there's 12 baskets in the one account versus seven baskets when 4,000 were fed. Now, third, there's two completely different locations. The feeding of the 5,000 was said to be in Bethsaida, which is a Jewish community near the Sea of Galilee, and while the feeding of the 4,000 was in the region of the Decapolis, which was a large Gentile and pagan territory, and it's far removed from the region or the area of Bethsaida. And fourth, and here's a difference that you won't get unless you actually looked at the Greek, because there are different Greek words for the words that are used in English that says baskets. They say baskets in both Matthew 14 as well as 15, but they're two different Greek words. The word that's used for the feeding of the 4,000 is spiritus. Spiritus, and uh, spiritus, uh, spiritus is a, a much larger basket. In fact, it was the same Greek word that was used when Paul was let down out of a window to escape the crowd in a basket and lowered down to the street. So it's a basket that's big enough to fit the apostle Paul. Now, possibly, in the other basket, by the way, in, in uh, the feeding of the 5,000, were, were like a hand basket, something you'd have go to the store with or possibly uh, have an Easter egg hunt with. Um, uh, this is possibly the difference between leftovers, that one collected 12 baskets and the other one only seven. Now, here's an important point. Matthew is very precise 
in the use of his words and particularly the numbers that he uses for reference. And you'll see this all through the Gospel of Matthew. Now remember that Matthew was a tax collector. And these tax collectors that were employed by the Romans were the equivalent of our modern uh, CPAs. Uh, except that unlike our modern CPAs, they also had to be very observant. And the reason they had to be observant is because they would observe, for example, and survey property, including fields and crops and harvest and the uh, catch of fish, because all of these things, the catch of fish, for example, that were brought to the shore, all of these things are taxable events. And the tax collectors would record these and tax the people appropriately. Now, more and more scholars uh, are beginning to understand that Matthew likely kept a daily diary as he was with Jesus and recorded these events that we read of as they recorded. Uh, that, by the, that, by the way, is what's shown actually if you watch the television series, the drama series, The Chosen. Uh, it's now in its fourth different season. And Matthew is seen as a tax collector to carry along with him a, a tablet and for which he can record these different events. Now finally, to any, end any speculation that somehow the Bible is an error or that these, these two events were the same event, just uh, different, just uh, used different figures, um, let's hear what Jesus has to say about these two miraculous events, the feeding of the 5,000 in chapter 14 and the feeding of the 4,000 in chapter 15. This is what Jesus has to say in the Gospel of Mark. Now, the context is the disciples were wondering why Jesus meant what he meant when he said, be, be weary of the bread of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the text uh, says that somehow they, they thought that Jesus was referring to the fact that they didn't bring any bread with them on the boat. And then this is what Jesus has to say. This is verse 8 in chapter uh, 5 of Mark. Uh, you of little faith, why are you talking among yourself about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it that you don't understand that I was not talking about bread? Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You see, Jesus specifically references these two occasions, and that's recorded for us in the Gospel of Mark. So again, we have, you should have confidence, complete confidence, when you pick up your Bible. When you pick up your Bible, and I don't care whether it's a King James or an ESV or an NIV or a, or, or a, a New Living Bible or maybe a Span, Spanish or a French or a Portuguese translation, my friends, you can read the Bible, the Bible that you have, with complete confidence that you are reading the Word of God. The difference is when you read one translation to the, to the other are for your benefit. And you should read multiple versions. This is why I often use a couple of different translations when I'm going to be doing any teaching. And there are different ways of saying the same things. I have complete confidence that 99 times out of 100, the Bible translators are putting forward their very best effort to give you a real honest appraisal of what is being communicated. And it's for our benefit. 
So reading different translations, when we see these minor differences or a different way of explaining things is actually beneficial to us because it helps us understand who God truly is, the message of Jesus, and how we are to live a holy life. I'd like you to believe the Bible. Speaking of believing the Bible, do you know that the Bible very faithfully records that Jesus is returning? Look for his returning. Embrace the fact uh, that this is really not our home. Jesus said that he was going away to prepare a place for us and that he would return and bring us with him to his father's house. So be ready. The Lord is coming. Let's go ahead and pray. So Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to speak on the or teach on the feeding of the 4,000 or another 4,000. We give you the praise and the glory, Lord, for all these things. We pray, Lord, as well for the peace of Jerusalem, and we thank you in Jesus' precious name. Nearly every day, it's common to see, read, or hear something about the end of the world, the apocalypse, or end times. Author and pastor Kenneth Baer's The Apocalypse and Coming Kingdom zooms in and breaks down biblical prophecy as it relates to Jesus' imminent return and the coming seven-year period, including the Great Tribulation. Available in both paperback and Kindle versions. Get your copy on Amazon or at Barnes & Noble and select Christian bookstores. The title again is The Apocalypse and Coming Kingdom. You can also find it listed by author Kenneth Baer. Get your copy today. Thank you for joining us on Prophecy Countdown with Pastor Ken Baer. Don't leave without first sharing the latest episode with your friends. Be sure to join us again for the latest updates on Prophecy Countdown.